Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's up? What's up, everyone? This is R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Me, your boy, Noah Petrie, of course. Now, I'm recording this on Memorial Day, so happy belated Memorial Day. This is dropping on Tuesday. Um, It's just been a jam-packed weekend for your boy, to be honest with you. I've been doing so much stuff left and right, back and forth from Thursday all the way up until now. I am exhausted. I am tired. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So just having a, a incredible amount of fun. I'm not gonna really get into my personal life on here too much, but as you can imagine, a mid twenty year old dude living in New York City for Memorial Day can get pretty crazy and uh, a lot of alcohol and, and other substances, if you know what I mean. Um, obviously not crack. But <laughs> we're gonna be getting to the podcast now. So as I said last week. We didn't have any fights that happened this past weekend. Granted, there were a few, you know, regional MMA promotional fights. I didn't see those, to be entirely honest with you. When it comes to regional MMA, there will be times where I watch it, but I'm not going to, you know, be diving in deep and going over it, you know. I'm really going to be sticking to UFC, belt, or one championship, rise, and whenever decide to do a event or, you know, mainly those those promotions maybe some pfl here and there but i'm basically gonna be sticking to that i want to get to eagle sc2 so basically just those six for the most part but i'm not really getting to regional mma so for this episode i'm just going to be getting into the mma news and drama and i'm going to be going over some of the fights that are taking place next week now i'm not going to lie to you the fight card next week is not that good there's really two three fights on that fight card that is good uh, when it comes to the UFC fight cards, honestly, I want to say at least 60-70% of the time there are duds. They're really not that great. Um, it's because the UFC machine, they're just pumping out more fights and, and just trying to you know fill up the calendar for their ESPN deal as much as possible. So at first, I'm going to be going over the MMA news and drama section. So the first one up is Michael Chandler says the UFC pays enough. So I think he was on... The Errol Hawani show, I believe, don't quote me on it, I think it was Errol Hawani who was doing an interview with them. For the most part, if you're new to the MMA sphere, when it comes to interviews, most of it is going to be done through Hawani, to be honest with you. He does a majority of all the MMA interviews and interviews with fighters. There's a few other podcasts that do fighter interviews, but if by and large, I want to say at least, you know, a huge chunk of it is going to be done through Hawani and his show. Now... When it comes to interviews, me personally, I would never do fighter interviews. I just, I don't think, because I want to ask challenging questions. I want to be able to dive in deep and ask these fighters these challenging questions, questions that actually matter, and not just ask bullshit questions like, how's your fight camp? They're all going to say it's good, even though it's shit, um, or if it is shit, it's shit or not. But I, I want to ask challenging questions. I want to ask engaging questions. I want to ask the questions that matter. When it comes to fighters, a lot of them, they are, of course, physically strong, mentally strong in that aspect, but they're emotionally weak, 
So, you know, trying to giving them any type of criticism or challenging it any certain way, they're going to take it as, you know, um, an insult against them or they're going to be very offensive to it and that they're just not going to be able to answer his questions. So if I ever do an interview one day, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to tell them straight out, listen, this is what I want to do. I'm going to ask challenging questions. If you don't want to answer them, cool, but don't get upset when I'm answering, when I'm asking you these questions. So if, if I ever do interviews one day, I'll do it in that aspect. But for the most part, it's something I'm going to stare clear away from. Um, even though it does generate you a lot of views and, you know, a lot of new listeners to your podcast. The thing is, if it's not something that I wholeheartedly believe in, I love to do, or I think would be a benefit to the viewers and to the listeners and to me as well, wasting my time and the first time doing it, then I'm just straight up not going to do it, period. Regardless of the views, regardless of, you know, what can, can generate me the most ad revenue, et cetera, et cetera. So but I just went on a quick tangent about, you know, fighter interviews, but Chandler was on the, I believe, MMA hour with, with Eric Hwani, and he was saying how basically just taking the UFC's back and saying that they pay enough for their fighters, that fighters shouldn't be complaining, and that Dana White deserves all the money that he has, and the UFC deserves all the money that they have for putting on these fights, and etc., etc. Listen, do I think Dana White deserves the millions that he makes from the UFC? Yeah, I do. I honestly do believe he deserves it. He was with UFC from the start, basically. I mean, not technically from the very, very, very start, but he, he was in, he was part of UFC since his infant stages and he helped build a business from the ground up and he's an integral part of the ufc i can't imagine the ufc without dana white to be entirely honest with you so do i think he deserves a million yes do i think the ufc deserves the millions that they're making and generating from their product obviously obviously they need to be profitable they need to make money but here's the thing do i think that the fires are getting paid enough no do I think Chandler's getting paid enough? Yeah, I would I, I would say for the most part. Do I think he should be getting paid more? Yes, but that's a whole separate issue. But Chandler, he was a former champion in Bellator. He was basically the face of Bellator. He was the man of that promotion. Um, he was the most you know recognizable face and star. So him going into the UFC, obviously the UFC paid a pretty penny for Michael Chandler. And Chandler... Since getting to the UFC is you know garnering a lot of the casual fans' popularity because he's an exciting fighter to watch, win or lose, the fight's going to be exciting either way. So whenever Chandler fights, to be honest with you, I don't care if it's completely mismatched fights or someone who is I'm expecting him to dominate. I'm going to watch it because I know the fight's going to be entertaining. So from that aspect alone, I know the UFC is going to be paying him fairly well. That being said, what the UFC is paying him and what he feels is getting paid enough is not the case for the rest of everyone else in that promotion. When we come, fighter pay has been a very, very, very big topic as of late. I didn't really hear too much discussion on fighter pay up until the pandemic, to be honest with you. As I was watching MMA for years, you would hear it here and there, fighter pay-wise, you know, in 2019, in 2019, 2019, 2018. But I didn't really hear that much of it up until 2020 going forward, especially 2021, 2022. So... The cat's out of the bag when it comes to fighter pay. You really can't argue fighter pay anymore. We know what the UFC is paying. The UFC is paying 18%, 19% at most. And on top of that, USADA is taken out of that 18%, 19%. So it's not even a real 18%, 19%. 
they 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 use an organization that's involuntary drug testing and decided for that to come out of the overall compensation of the fighters when they didn't volunteer for it. It's kind of a fucked up thing. I'm going to be honest with you, but it, the cat's out of the bag. They don't get they don't get paid a lot. When it comes to the sponsors of the UFC, like Venom or Reebok previously, they don't pay much either. Venom barely pays the fighters. They basically pay the fighters the same shit the Reebok's paying them, and the Reebok are paying them shit. The fighters aren't allowed to get their own, um, you know, like sponsors for the to, to have on their shorts or wherever the case may be. They're not allowed to have any of that. So... They don't have many avenues of how to generate income some of these fighters. When the UFC is your sole provider and the only fighting promotion you can fight in and you're not paying enough, dude, 18% is straight up not enough. They're fighters who are making 20 and 20 still. 20 to 20 to show, 20 to win. And when you're fighting, you're expected to fight three times a year. That's that's Dana White's thing. That's the UFC's thing. They always say, oh, we, tr- we try to guarantee to have everyone booked three times a year. Now, of course, that is not the case when you get into the higher levels of, you know, some of these divisions. A lot of these guys only fight once or twice a year. Some of these lower ranked guys, they want to fight, you know, three, four times a year just to stay active and to make as much money as possible. But you have injuries. You have, if you lose a fight, you're taking damage from that fight. You need to recover. So for the most part, I wouldn't say all, most fighters are fighting three, four times a year. I would say it's, it's more so on a two to three side. So if you win two fights so you got the win bonus you got the show bonus and then just say if you won a fight tonight or something along those lines you probably made a little more than 100 grand bro you're on and that's not including that's not including paying your coaches if you have a manager um and everyone else on your team involved so in reality you're not making much for being in the biggest MMA promotion in the world for fighting on fucking ESPN for God's sakes. Like when you look at MMA fighter pay in comparison to all the other sports that are out there, like basketball, like football, um, of, of course, like soccer. Now the NFL, the NBA, the, the MLB, baseball, they have a 50-50 pay structure. So 50% goes to the, to the athletes and 50% goes to the organizations. That's obviously not the case in MMA. So... Of course, when it comes to some of these bigger name fighters like Israel Nasanya, like Michael Chandler, like uh, Kamaru Usman, those, these guys are paying, especially champions, they're getting paid a lot of money. A lot of, lot of money. Is it enough? Should it be getting paid more? Yes, in my opinion, when you look at the pay structure wise, but they are getting paid millions. But when you look at some of these, you know, some of these. Some of these fighters that haven't really gone up the ranks there or they're new into the UFC. Dude, a lot of these dudes, and it's sickening because every single, you see it's all the time. You're going to see it's at least once or twice every single fight night. It's always a fighter who wins and it's like, yo, I needed this win because I was literally dead broke. Like I had no money. I had no this. I had no that. So like, and, and they're sitting there begging for the fight bonus. That's it. it it's such a disgusting sight to see every single weekend to have a fighter who's literally just dead broke from fight camp to fight camp and they're sitting there begging the president of the organization for that win bonus because they need that money. They need that measly 50 grand. Dude, it's ridiculous. It's disgusting. If the if if there was if the pay structure was correct and everyone justifiably gets paid enough, you wouldn't be having fighters from week to week begging for the pay bonus because they're on ends meet. Granted, 
everyone has their own financials and some people are better at managing monies than others. And of course, people can say, oh, like it's your job as a fighter to market yourself, to do other things outside the UFC, like, you know, like a podcast or, you know, to, to you know, be entertaining, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, here's the thing. Yes, that is true. But then again, MMA, UFC is a promotion. Anyway, is a promoter. He has to do a good job at promoting his own products and his own fighters, which at times he kind of does a shitty job in it when he downplays and shits on his own fighters. I'm not going to get into that. But when you look at the overall broad aspect of MMA fighter pay, you can't argue that the UFC pays enough anymore. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You can't argue with it. And there's ways around it, man. If you don't want to give the fighters 50%, which you can't really, you can't from the one day to the next say, you know what, we're going to go from 18 to 50%. That's going to throw the whole company in you know, a shithole and it's just too much of a massive change to a company that big. But there's other stuff you can do. You can bump it up to 25%. You can say, you know what, I'm going to give you 25%. And I'm going to let you get your own uh, sponsors on your shorts. So you have a a whole other avenue of revenue that's coming into you on top of the pay bump of an extra 7%. Now, is that still enough in my opinion? No, but it's a good start somewhere. At that point, I guess you can argue it's fair or it could be worse but at the current standing dude the UFC does not pay enough I was kind of shocked that you know Michael Chandler was just so that he just took the UFC side like that but then again there's some fighters that are like that too Sam Alvey is another one but then again Sam Alvey's on like a fucking six fight losing streak so that man wants to he's trying to he's trying to, to, to be on Dana White's good side as much as possible no disrespect for him I'm just being honest um, you also have Kevin Holland that says the exact same shit. Then again, another dude on a losing streak. So it, I was just kind of shocked that, you know, Chandler is at the viewpoint of the UFC and of fighter pay in general. But you have a few fighters out there who are going to try to take the UFC's back in this issue. But for the most part, man, the, the cat's out of the bag. We know these fighters don't get paid enough, and it's disgusting. Now, talking about Chandler... Dustin Poirier says Chandler fought someone coming off of a W and a win and in the UFC and is just completely discrediting him in another interview that Poirier did. Now, granted, this is true. Technically, technically, he hasn't fought anyone. He hasn't beaten anyone coming off of a W. He hasn't. I don't think he fought anyone coming off of a W because Justin wasn't coming off of a W. He was coming off of an L from Khabib. So he never fought anyone coming off a W, and he never beaten anyone coming off of a W. So, and that doesn't necessarily indicate where Chandler is career-wise or how good he is. Because even though, you know, Justin was coming off of a loss, he, he coming off of a loss from the, the best lightweight of all time. Even though, um, I mean, Hooker was coming off of a few losses, Tony was coming off of a few losses. So it doesn't necessarily indicate where Chandler is in this this lineup of 155ers. But I guess it's a way that you can discredit him because technically it's right, man. He he hasn't beat anyone who's coming off of a W. I would like to see where... The the way that we're going to see where Chandler truly is in this division is if he fights someone like Dustin Poirier. I think that fight makes a lot of sense. If he fights someone like... You know, possibly a Gaethje again. That that you could easily run that one back and make it five rounds. That fight was entertaining. It's ever loving shit. 
Um, if you fight someone like a Dariush or Islam Makhchev, you know, if he beats someone with a name like that, and there's that's when we can see where he is divisionally and where he is standing wise. I don't I'm not gonna write him off because he hasn't beaten anyone coming off of a W. Because when you look at you know how Chandler when Chandler entered into the uh, the UFC, Khabib was so dominant and giving everyone else that you know most of the people at the top were, were coming off of an L from Khabib either way. So I can't really discredit Chandler saying he hasn't you know has beaten anyone coming off of, of a W yet. But let's have him fight all these other people in that division and see where he is. Now I do think he's in the tail end of his career too. The dude has been Bellator got his best years. But let's be let's be real here. Bellator got his best years. He was in Bellator for basically all of his career. Chandler's on the receiving side. He even said coming into the uh, uh, coming into the UFC that he's here for a short time, a good time, not a long time. So he has a few fights left. I, I honestly see that after his fight contract is up with the UFC now, that he'll probably retire after. So you know. I do think that, is he in his prime? No, but I do think he could give a lot of the top guys in the division a run for their money in any given night and can be can make any a fight against any of these guys competitive, to be entirely honest with you. Now, I want to get into Paul Gregg. He was explaining how a sports psychologist helped his career resurgence. So Paul Craig was at a point where he was in a, a kind of a skid in his UFC career. I think he was... He was coming off three, four losses, and was completely able to turn it around. I think Paul Craig is now is on like a, a four, five, six fight win streak, somewhere around there. I want to say five to six fight win streak. He just beat Jamal Hill, who's an up-and-coming prospect, who just knocked out, you know, Johnny Walker. So he, and he, last part, he's the only person to beat Uncle Iev. So granted, he was getting his ass whipped for literally 14 minutes and 50 seconds of that fight. Sinks in a triangle and was able to get the W. Either way, he got the W. So... It, a lot of people don't understand is that fighting is not just a, you know a physical aspect. It's def, it's a mental game. It's I would say it's even 50-50. I say 50% physical, 50% mental. Your mental space has to be on correctly in order for you to you know compete in the highest levels in regards to fighting in the UFC or just MMA in general, man. When you look at fighting, dude, it's a nerve-wracking process. You're getting in there and you're slugging out with someone who is another trained fighter, another trained athlete, and things can go horribly wrong. You can get knocked the fuck out. You can get injured. You can, you know, we see injuries happen all the time in MMA or just in fighting in general. So you have to you have to be in the right mental space in order to perform at your best in regards to any sport in general, and that's definitely the case for fighting. Now, this goes back to the thing I was saying beforehand in the beginning of the podcast. A lot of these fighters are mentally weak. They are mentally weak. They cannot take criticism. They cannot you know, take a joke in some aspects. Their, their, their first instinct for anything is to get defensive and, you know, just uh, overall just aggressive and try to fight whatever opposition is saying anything about them in any regard. So you need to have a good mental space and be and be able to you know, have 
emotional intelligence to get a hold of your emotions in order to perform well in the highest levels. We hear this all the time when fighters take, when fighters lose. Like, you know what? I just wasn't feeling it today. This just wasn't my day. A good example of this was John Blockwitz. He said he woke up that day and just knew he was going to lose against Glover Teixeira. He's like, I, I don't know what it is. He's like, honestly, I just woke up that day and just and just knew I was going to lose. Now. That could, and some people are like, oh, spiritual foreshadowing, et cetera, et cetera. No, I just think it was a bad headspace. I think, you know, if he had a sports psychologist that he could have talked to him right before the fight and kind of like shook that out of him, um, I do think he was a better fighter coming into that fight in general. But here's the thing Conor, a good example of this too Conor McGregor, he basically did his whole career just trying to get into fighters' heads and get into people's heads and have them, you know, fight him aggressively and make mistakes and try to you know stir up emotions in his opponents and that's the reason why he was able to beat a lot of them he did that to dustin he did it to aldo like aldo doesn't aldo came out the came out the the beginning of the fight you know guns blazing and got knocked out there when in reality it's not really how aldo fights but the only reason why aldo fought like that is because connor was able to get into his head notice connor didn't beat people who he wasn't able to get into their heads. That's a whole other topic there. But it just goes to show you that a lot of the, when it comes to the fight game, a lot of it is mental too. So shout out to Paul Craig for realizing that, getting a sports psychologist and turning his career around. And I think all fighters should be doing it as well. But then again, that shit can get expensive. And we just talked about fighter pay and how UFC don't pay their fighters. Now we have Wonderboy wants a rematch with Masvidal. Wonderboy did beat Masvidal before. I think there was a, a fairly competitive back and forth fight. Wonderboy did win. This was like fucking maybe five, six years ago, four, five, six years ago, somewhere around there. I know Wonderboy is just saying this because both men are on the tail ends of their career. It will be an entertaining fight. Both men are names. And of course, um, Wonderboy is just trying to get paid. He's just trying to get paid. Masvidal is a name and Wonderboy is just trying to get paid. Does this fight happen? No. Why am I even covering it? To be honest with you, I have no fucking clue. But it, it, it just was something noteworthy to say. Of course, if I think they fought again, I think Wonderboy would beat him a second time. But yeah, the man's just trying to get paid. Everyone's calling out Mazel nowadays. When you're a name, everyone's going to be calling you out. It's just how it is. Then we have Dan Hardy believing that Patty Pimblett can be champ one day. Dan Hardy went in an entire reign and how, you know, Patty Pimblett has potential. Um, what he's good at, what he's not good at, and believes that Patty can be champ one day. First of all, both dudes are Englishmen. So, of course, Dan Hardy is going to have very, very high hopes for Patty. Now, is it possible for Patty to be champ one day? Yeah, I think it's possible. Do I see it happening? Honestly, no. And the reason why I don't see it happening, of course, he's still a new prospect. He's still new to MMA. So he still has a lot to, not new to MMA, due to UFC, he still has a lot to improve on. He's young and he's, you know, he can still definitely improve on some of these factors and be a, a, a contender or maybe even a champion one day. And the reason why I'm saying no as of now, from what I've seen from Patty so far, is that, dude, he gets hit a lot. Patty gets hit a lot. Patty gets rocked. He has excellent jiu-jitsu, yes, but he gets hit a lot and he gets rocked. You, when you get to these upper levels, man, you just you can't afford to be getting hit like that, especially when you're fighting against people who have you know very good takedown defense, very good striking, and can give you a lot of problems on the feet and on the ground too. 
he's a, he's a jiu-jitsu ace. So if he's able to get you on the ground, he's a real problem. But here's the thing, man. If you're getting rocked in the beginning of the fight, if, if you're constantly getting hit a lot, and uh, your, your, your takedowns in general, you know, your takedown ability is not known to be the best or that good, you're going to have problems fighting the upper echelons of the division. If you threw Patty in the upper echelons of the division, would he get beat? Absolutely. He's he, As of now, he's not beating dudes like, you know, like a Chandler, like a Poirier, like like Justin, like you know, Charlotte, like Oliveira, like Darius, like Islam. Like he's not beating those guys now. This is not where he is development wise. He will need to greatly develop in order to, you know, become a contender in this division. So is it possible for him to be champ one day? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's a lot he needs to work on. And as of right now, I think there's no way in hell he, he could be champion. Then again, it's just so young in his career, I could be just writing him off from what I've seen right now. And we've seen a, a bunch of other cases like this where a fighter just, you know, they have a promising potential in one area, but they need to get it together in other areas. They struggle for a little bit, and eventually they get it together. Uh, John Blockwitz is a good example of this. Obviously, Charles Oliveira is another good example of this. Um, Robert Whitaker is another good example of this. The fighters who were showed a lot of promise, then faced, you know, tougher oppositions. Took a couple of losses. Eventually, able to put it all together. Became very good, well-rounded fighters. Um, then we have Edmund Shabazian changing camps. So Edmund Shabazian, I believe the dude's like 24 years old. Super young. Even younger than me. 20, I think like 24, 25 years old. Somewhere from 23 to 25. Somewhere around there. So he's within that age range. He was training with Ronda Rousey for years. He was training with uh, Tavarian for years in that gym. And he says, you know, no ill will to them. I love them. I'll always love them. I'm always grateful for everything that they've given to me, but I just need to change. And honestly, I think this is a very smart move in his behalf. Shabazian shows a lot of promise. He shows a, a hell of a lot of promise. His striking is amazing. Very good striking. Very good boxing. His issue, his glaring issue has been his takedown defense. So after it was expo- exposed by, I believe, Brunson was uh, the first person to give him an L in the octagon ever since then everyone knew yo if i just take him down then i can have my way with him in a way and that seemed to be the case in every other fight afterwards he would get taken down and it just we we just see that he's not there in takedown defense and on the ground develop developmentally wise and i'm not saying that was the issue with raza or with tarverian at all as far as coaching him wise i just think that he needs to change I think he needs to change. His striking is very good. We can we could you know improve on his striking in ways. I think it's perfectly fine the way it is. What we need to work on right now is grappling and wrestling, and there's no better place to do that than at AKA. If I had to if I had to pick a gym for him to go to, it would definitely be either AKA just for him to develop that you know that grappling defense, maybe develop some grappling, some takedown offense of his own. Or somewhere like an ATT where you have a mixed utilization of a bunch of different fires from different backgrounds and the best of the best from the sport in general. So I think that those are places that he could definitely benefit from going to or, or some of those gyms. But I do think that he definitely needs a change. Now, when it there's a this kind of a, like a bad in a way mindset in regards to people changing camps in MMA. There's a lot of people that think, oh, when someone changes camps, that spells, you know, 
you know, the downfall of them as a fighter. Like changing camps is kind of a bad thing. And in a way, it can be a bad thing. Changing camps can definitely be a bad thing. But when you have an overall glaring weakness, going to a camp that specializes in your weakness is definitely a good thing. Now, if he went to somewhere, like if, for instance, he says a change of camp and he went to city kickboxing, I would be very concerned for his career. Why? Because that's a striking-based camp. That camp is primarily striking-based. Granted, do some of their fighters have good takedown defense? Obviously, absolutely. And takedown offense? Obviously, absolutely. But it's more so a camp in regards they're known for striking. I think if he has to change camps, it has to be a camp in regards to grappling and wrestling places like aka that's the first place that comes to mind probably the first place that comes to everyone's mind of where he should go so if he makes a switch like that then i think is a positive if he goes to another camp and it's clear that you know maybe he can't really benefit as much as he can from this camp then it could be a negative but i do think that listen if you're just switching camps really nearly, if you're going to one camp, going to another camp, one to go, going to another camp, going to another camp, just switching camps back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, I do think that's a bad thing. I think that definitely can be a bad thing and it's showing that maybe this fighter isn't taking coaching well or he's bumping heads with everyone at the camp or he just thinks that, you know, um, he's trying to find, you know, the secret sauce, the secret formula to his game plan and all that can spell doom to a fighter's career. But if you have a glory weakness, going to a camp that, is a, it specializes in your weakness i believe is a good thing so shout out to him for realizing that and for making the change as well but the fact that he was able to um get to the level that he is in the ufc in his division in a camp that was kind of you know really shitted on after the rousey era and how rousey's career kind of played out towards the end it, it, it's impressive either way now Sean Strickland gets his Twitter suspended after transphobic comments. I believe there was other comments too, like gun violence and and gun safety and that kind of stuff. I think that's another reason why he got suspended. But from what I read, uh, I saw that it was transphobic comments. Bro, here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. Sean Strickland is a great fighter. He's a very good fighter. He's a high-volume fighter. He's an entertaining fighter. I like watching him fight. That being said, I really don't like him as a person too much. I'm going to be honest with you. Granted, I never met the guy, so I can meet the guy, and he's like fucking, you know, incredible, and we get along great. But as far as what I've seen from him so far and how he acts, I'm just not a fan of him. I'm not a fan of him as a person. I'm just not. He says a lot of weird, stupid shit that we should not be saying. And I'm not saying that we should censor him. No, not by any means. But I do think that, yo, the UFC should be like, dude, you got to slow down to what you're saying. I think the UFC has... I respect the UFC for having that, you know, whole freedom of speech thing. But at certain points, we got to limit what motherfuckers are saying, though. You can't be having people saying a whole bunch of racist shit and, and just, you know, shit that we shouldn't be saying. For instance, he's like, oh, I want to be the first person to kill someone in the octagon. You don't want your fighter saying that. That's something you don't want your fighter saying. Because when people hear that, especially, you know, the older generation, they think, oh, they think of immediately back in the day when people were calling MMA human cockfighting. They think of, you know, people who are MMA as in, as in, you know, being barbaric or, you know, just like, 
overall idiots or you know you know you could just keep giving giving examples 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 of what people believe mma fighter mma fans are that and at sometimes it's right i'm gonna be honest with you but sometimes it can be definitely wrong but you can't have your fighter saying this kind of shit i get the whole freedom of speech aspect of it but as a company as a brand if i have a fighter that's saying yo i want to kill someone exactly on the big yo you need to slow it down if you feel that way, okay, I guess go seek some fucking mental health. So you know, go go seek a, a psychologist or a therapist or something. It's clearly something is a little messed up in your head if you want to kill someone in, in in you know in a combat sport. But you can't just be saying this on the air in the after you just won a fight in the UFC and then it's all over Sports Center and people are tweeting about it and it's, you're just making the company look bad. And he constantly does shit like this. He says a lot of, you know, homophobic comments. He obviously says transphobic comments. He said a lot of reckless shit that honestly, literally, I could just go through if his Twitter was still around, not suspended. I can just scroll through his Twitter and just see a bunch of shit that's like, dude, clearly something is a little off with this guy. Not saying he's a bad guy, but clearly he's, you know, he's a little out there. And maybe this is shit we shouldn't be saying. And honestly, another reason why I'm just, I'm just really not a huge fan of the dude is I remember him, you know, talking shit about, I believe it was Will Harris or was it Will Harris? It was, it was I think it was, it was someone, I forgot the other, other fighter. Basically, he was just kind of shitting on this fighter. Basically, um, he was kind of just shitting on this fighter and how, you know, this fighter is kind of a bitch, etc. But as he explained the story, basically, you're just seeing that this guy's Sean Strickland's a dick. Sean Strickland was just being an asshole to this guy. And this guy was, you know, Sean Strickland's calling him a bitch. He's getting emotional about, um, you know, basically Strickland picking on him. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the guy. If he did say shit that's a little crossing the line, then I, I guess it's good that he got his Twitter suspended. But all in all, I just don't see how people are, how the MMA community is just loves them so much. I don't get it. I really, I, I honestly really don't get it. I would never, I remember Sean O'Malley was saying, dude, I would never spar with him. He's talking about killing people in the octagon. Like, dude, like he's not, clearly is something wrong with him. Clearly he just wants to be out there to really hurt people in, in a really bad regard. Like I would never spar with him or be in any kind of close proximity to him and honestly i would be the exact same way i'm not trying to shit at him in any means but dude, he's just a bizarre guy and he says shit that really we we want to get away from not having said so if he's saying a bunch of shit that would have hurt mma hurt the image of mma and hurt the image of ufc then i guess it's good that he got his twitter banned to be honest with you yeah i'm just i'm just i was just never a huge fan of him now i want to get into ABC, the boxing organization, their president says that their judges, because all the judges in the MMA come from these boxing organizations, are highly qualified because some of them have backgrounds in BJJ and karate. Some of them are, you know, a black belt in karate or a black belt in BJJ. And, you know, because it, it was the reason why he was saying all this because commentators are saying, you know, some of these judges don't know what they're looking at. They don't know what they're doing. A lot of them suck. Not just a commentator says it. Basically, everyone says it. And Daniel, the president of the UFC, said it. The fans say it all the time. So he was basically just defended his judges and saying, you know, some of these people have backgrounds in this, backgrounds in that, owns a gym, et cetera, et cetera. These commentators should do the research. Now, here's the thing. Do I think that commentators need to know the judging criteria? not necessarily i would think it would benefit for judges i mean for fighters to know the judging criteria 
for fighters to know the judging criteria, for coaches to know the judging criteria, and for commentators to know, to know the cr judging criteria. I guarantee you most, most fighters don't, most judges don't, and most commentators don't. Guarantee you. I guarantee you. What they think should be valued in a fight compared to what the judges rule set wise are said to be valuable in a fight or said this should be valuable in a fight, I guarantee you are two different things depending on judge and depending on the commentator, the fighter, the coach, fan, etc, etc. Straight up, I think most people don't know the judging criteria. We know some aspects of the judging criteria. For instance, like the damage is valued basically above all else, octagon control, etc., etc. Um, but I don't expect the commentators to know this stuff too much. I would think it would be a great benefit for them to know it. But then again, when you look at commission to commission, the criteria could be different. So one commission could value this more than this. The other commission could value this more than this. One judge can value grappling more than... Um, Striking, one judge could value striking more than grappling, octagon control. It varies. I think there's a little too much variation there and being allowed to have that, that kind of variation. But I just think straight up, most people don't know the judging criteria. Now, I understand that ABC's present in defending his judges, his staff, his judges are his staff. They're always under you know scrutiny for some of their... They're bad decisions in decision making um, in regards to judging the sport of MMA. Honestly, judging the sport of fucking boxing too. Because if we think that we think the judging in MMA is bad, bro, the judging of boxing is fucking at times you're just like it's either motherfuckers are blind like the blind mice in Shrek, or we're just corrupt. Or it's a little bit of both. So I do think that it will be a benefit it will be a benefit for commentators for fighters, for coaches to know what the judges look for so that we don't get in situations like, oh, I felt like I won this fight, but I did I did think that technically in the viewer aspect and people looking at it, you would think that I won the fight. But in reality, it's not stuff that the judges feel that you know the judges really value. So I didn't win that aspect, like the Holly Home fight, for example. So but here's the thing. Just because a judge has a black belt in karate or a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a BJJ, or owns a MMA gym, does not mean they're going to be a good judge. Those two things don't correlate. They don't correlate at all. First of all, if you have a background in karate, I kind of don't care. I'm going to be honest with you. If you have a background in karate, I kind of don't care. Why? Because that has become a watered-down martial art. If you go to 10 karate dojos, I believe they're called dojos, I guarantee you nine of them, if not all 10 of them, would be shit. They're going to just give you belts for the tenure as long as you've been there. There's really not going to be any sparring, any real-type fighting involved there. There's going to be more just like breaking boards that are like semi-broken and just bullshit like that. Now, of course, there's people who come into MMA from a karate-based background who excel. Not all karate is bullshit. But I, I would say most of it is, to be honest with you. Um, BJJ, most of it currently is legit. So if you go to the most BJJ gyms, and that's because of when you look at the whole instance and the sport fundamentally-wise of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you're constantly rolling and sparring in that regard. You're constantly rolling, getting each other in submissions, try, getting each other in positions and submissions. 
and you know that's stuff that you can utilize in MMA, in a street fight, etc. So the fundamentals of that sport and how it's being taught, it's a little bit different from karate and from other martial arts. That's why most BJJ gyms are legit. Um, some of them are not, to be honest with you. You know, of course, there's a gray area for everything. But I'm, I'm getting off topic. The point is, just because you have a black belt in something, in some kind of martial art, does not does not mean you're going to be a good judge of that of that sport or any other you know variation of, of combat sport at all. For instance, if if I'm a porno actor, right? If I do porn, I'm like, yo, I've done gangbangs, I've done orgies, I've done biracial shit, I've done everything under the sun. Since I've done so many pornos, since I fuck so many women. I'm going to start directing and I know I'll be a good director because I did all these porno shoots and I know how porno shoots go. It doesn't work like that. Just because you're a good actor does not mean you'll be a good director because directing is completely different from acting. Acting is completely different from directing. So the even a MMA fighter, if you took an MMA fighter, I guarantee a standard MMA fighter and have him be a judge, they probably wouldn't be a good judge either. Why? Because ju- from what the criteria is and what is being valued compared to what the MMA fighter believes is the most valuable, believes what should be valued, could be completely different. So just because you know you have a background in karate does not mean you'll be a good judge of MMA. Literally, it's, uh, granted, it's just, 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 there's uh, karate practitioners and MMA, but well, it... Karate, karate is incorporated into the sport in some aspects from you know certain individual fires, but for the most part, it's not. So your fucking black belt in karate means nothing. Your black belt in jiu-jitsu in regards of being a, a, a MMA judge means nothing. So you know the fact that you're throwing out your qual- the judge's qualifications and their martial arts status. And having that be a correlation between that and good judging is fucking retarded. It literally means nothing. Now, do I think that it helps? Yeah, I think it could help. I think if they have a, a martial arts background, I think it could help. But you can't sit there and say because they have a black belt, they're a good MMA judge. It literally makes no sense at all. He's just trying to defend his staff. I get it. But here's the thing. Fucking MMA, MMA judges suck. They suck ass. They suck cock. And I don't care what background you have. You guys fucking suck. But I'm going to get into uh, Cheeto Vera. Basically, again, being interviewed. And he was saying how Cejudo you know, is so willing all of a sudden to come out of retirement after two years since he's been retired. And he says, honestly, he, he probably tested, maybe he tested positive and questioned his overall retirement. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people would just write it off and say, you know what? He's just being skeptical. Um, he's just trying to, you know, downplay Cejudo's, you know, and just kind of shit on him. Now, at times, yeah, it could be that, but here's the thing, dude. You have to be cautious now of fires quote unquote retiring and coming out of retirement literally two years later. Now, the reason for that is because when you're suspended for PEDs, you're suspended for at least two years. So you get a two year suspension if you use PEDs. So a fighter, and now before, you would have to USADA 
would announce, the UFC would announce when a fighter got caught using PEDs. So everyone in the MMA community would know this fighter got caught for PEDs, so now they're going to be out for two years because they're going to be suspended. A new rule set has changed, I forgot where, that USADA now and the UFC doesn't need to disclose when a fighter pops for PEDs, which is really fun. The fact that you use an involuntary drug organization, drug testing organization for the fighters to test them, but you're not going to disclose if they test positive or if they test negative or not to the public, it, a, comp, it's just sound, it's shady. It, it's, it's shady. It's straight up shady. It's just sus. It is completely sus. It doesn't really make any sense. It's, it, it, it looks, a, corpor, a, a corporation would get away with anything they can as long as it's legal so the fact that this is legal is just weird to be honest with you what's the point even having the what's the point even having the drug testing organization if they're not going to publicly disclose that someone got called peds it makes no what's the whole point of having them then it makes no fucking sense corporations gonna corporations would literally do anything they can as long as it's legal so any anything that's sus anything that's shady if they can get away with it legally Sometimes even illegally, they're going to do it. That's just how corporations run. So I'm really not surprised that the UFC is doing this. So they don't want, you know, they don't want the overall brand being hurt as far as getting caught with PEDs. And that's why you haven't heard any of these real, dis- you know, disclosures about fighters getting caught with PEDs lately. Before, when you saw the first guy rolled out, motherfuckers are getting popped left and right. We knew motherfuckers were cheating, but... Now we just had confirmation that motherfuckers are cheating. So the fact that you don't have to disclose now when a fighter gets caught cheating is just, it's just shady. So you should be very wary of a lot of fighters who are saying, oh, I'm going on retirement or I'm beefing with the UFC. So I'm not going to take a fight for literally two years and all of a sudden come back out of retirement or decide to start taking fights. An instance of this is Cejudo. An instance of this is John Jones. Now we'll never truly know if they got caught with PEDs or not. Unless it's a leak somewhere if any organization of USADA or the UFC that says this person got caught with PEDs. The fact that they don't have to disclose anymore means that fighters could just take a two-year sabbatical and be like, you know what? I don't feel like fighting or I'm going to retire or I'm beefing with the UFC. So I'm just going to sit out and they'll literally sit out for two years till the suspension's over and come out of retirement. So, dude... I, I, it could be it could be conspiracy talk. It could be people just saying, "Oh, you know, you're you're, you're just you're you're overplaying it too much." But all I'm saying is, if you see an uptick of fighters of of high you know high level big name fighters who are saying, "I'm just gonna retire, come out and come out of you know come back," to literally two years later, that's us. That is shady. That it it, it could be. More than them just retiring. Do I want to see Cejudo fight? Yeah, I want to see Cejudo fight, of course. But I'm just saying, Cheeto does have a point, and I don't even like Cheeto, but I gotta agree with him there. Is it you know? Is it you know conclusive that fucking Cejudo got Papa PEDs? No, but it is definitely something that you should be aware of, and that you should be looking at if you see an uptick of, of fighters doing this. We've only seen two, one with John Jones, one with Cejudo. But if you start seeing it a lot more often, then that could definitely be the case. But to stay in the PEDs issue, Sarah McMahon, she had an interview as well, and she was saying how 
PEDs are still an issue in MMA. She says she'll fight fighters and, you know, after the fight or before the fight, their teammates or whatever people who are in the gym will be like, hey, this person is definitely using PEDs. I saw them use PEDs. Now, there's a big, mis- there's a huge misconception in the MMA community with casual fans, with hardcore fans, that USADA is just, there's no escaping them. If you're taking PEDs, they're going to catch you. Bro, this is not the case. I guarantee you, people are getting past USADA. Bro, PEDs will always be an issue in MMA. PEDs will always be an issue in any sport. Any sport at all. PEDs will always be an issue. Tom Brady's fucking like 42 years old. You think Tom Brady is the best quarterback and is outplaying everyone in the league at 42 years old? Obviously, the man's taking the man's doing roids, the man's doing some kind of PEDs. LeBron James in his mid 30s, late 30s, is still outplaying everyone in the league. You think he's not taking something? You really think he's not taking something, bro? There's cheating in all sports, there's cheating in MMA, there's cheating in boxing, the MOB, baseball, football, bro. All these motherfuckers are cheating, all these motherfuckers are using PEDs. I guarantee you, they're all using PEDs. Every single one of them. So the fact that we have the USADA testing program, you think that people are not going to be able to find a way to get by it and to still cheat? Bro, as long as there's money on the line and the competition is is uh, is difficult, there will be cheating. People are always trying to get an edge up on their opponents in one way, shape, or form. And cheating is always going to be an issue there. Now, I want to get into the Petri predictions portion of this podcast. It's where I pick the fights that are, I believe, you know, who's going to win, who's going to lose from the next fight night, pay-per-view, etc. That's happening for next week. So we have Volkov against Rosenstruck. That is the main event for next week's fight night. And to be honest with you, dude, this fight is going to be boring as fuck. I have to warn you now. This fight will not be a fun fight. It straight up won't be a fun fight. I don't think it's going to be fun. I think this is why I think it's going to happen. I think Volkov is going to be scared to engage because of Rosenstruck's power. And I think Rosenstruck is not going to throw any type of volume because he's just trying to land the, the, that right hand. Rosenstruck has a huge issue in throwing overall volume to get the, the KO punch. He's really you know, a counter puncher. And he waits for everything to line up to throw the right hand because he has a devastating right hand to knock his opponent out. If he threw volume and he was just throwing to throw, eventually you would find a punch that would put your opponent away. But most Rosenstruck fights are extremely fucking boring until he's able to knock out his opponent or not. So I think Volkov is going to be you know, scared to engage because Volkov is a volume striker. He really doesn't have that kind of knockout power. And I think Rosenstruck is going to be waiting for the right punch. I think Rosenstruck is eventually going to land the punch because we've seen Volkov go down before. And I think it'll probably happen around three or four. I think Rosenstruck is going to win by knockout. And I think this fight is going to be fucking boring. But the fight that I'm most excited about is Dan Egan against Evolove. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Bro, Russian names are fucking hard to pronounce. Don't shit on me. I'm trying. These shits are hard, bro. It's not like it's fucking like uh, Johnson or something easy like that. These, sh- these shits are, you don't pronounce it on a regular day-to-day basis. But Evolov, I, I believe it's Evolov. Um, Ige against Evolov. Evolov is 15-0. 
Both men are fighting in the featherweight division, one of the best divisions in all MMA right now. This fight is going to be a good fight. I think this fight should have been the main event, to be entirely honest with you. I don't know why. UFC loves putting two heavyweight fucks for the fight night main event. I, always, every, every single time. Yo, we got to put a heavyweight on the main card. We got to put him on, you know, if it's a... Uh, if it's a fight night, we gotta put them for either the co-main event or the main event. Every single time, it's retarded. But I think this is by far the best fight on the card and by far the most interesting fight on the card. Now, I think if Evolov is gonna stand with Dan Ige, that Dan Ige is gonna give him a very hard time. A very hard time on the feet. I think Dan Ige's striking is overall better and more dynamic than Evolov's. Now, we do know what Ige's weakness is, and that's grappling. It's not that he's bad on the ground per se when he's on the ground, but as far as being able to effectively defend takedowns, we've seen the Korean Zombie had his way with him in a way and able to um, take down... Dan Ige and hold them on the ground for long durations of time. I think if if Ivalev is going to win, that's the way to go. You have to be able to take down Ige on the ground and keep him on the ground. And Ivalev's last fight, I believe, was against Nick Lentz. Nick Lentz got him into a guillotine and kind of held that guillotine for a long time. I do think if you're on the ground of Ige, it could be, you know, he, Ike could definitely give you some problems. I don't know how good he is on off his back per se, but I do think on the ground, Ike can definitely give Ivalev some problems. But Ivalev, if he's able to keep Ike on the ground and effectively use ground to pound and pressure, I think he could win. I think that's his best shot to victory. He has to be able to get his opponent onto the ground. Now, who I think is going to win... Honestly, I kind of think this it, this one's kind of up in the air for me. It's really, really, really up in the air for me. It, I'm, I'm going to know after the first round who's going to win. I have to see how that first round plays out. If I'm watching the first round play out and Evolve is trying to get Dan Ige on the ground and is not able to get him on the ground for you know by any means and Dan Ige is just stuffing all the takedowns, bro, I think Ige is going to win. Now, if... Evolev is able to get Ige on the ground immediately at that first round with ease, that thing's going to be a long night for Ige. But all in all, I, I, I'd say I, I'm going to put my money in Ige. This fight I would not bet on. I would not bet on this fight, to be honest with you. This fight, I I would rather bet on a Rosenstruck Volka fight than this fight. This fight... it. it it could, it's, it could be very up in the air. I haven't checked the betting lines yet, but I guarantee the betting lines that are very close. They probably give the the favorite to Evolov because he's undefeated. But I think if Egate's able to effectively stuff those takedowns on the feet, and that's if you know Evolov even shoots for the takedowns. I didn't see him really shoot for a takedown in a Nick Lentz fight at all, to be honest with you. Not to my memory. I haven't seen that fight in two years. But I do think Dan Ige is the more well-rounded fighter. And I think that he, if it's on the feet, then he can definitely pull it off. Plus, I really like Dan Ige. I think he's a great fighter. I want to see him develop more. So I'm putting my... My theoretical money, because I really don't like betting on the fights too much, to Dan Ike. So there goes 
episode five of R6 MMA podcast with me, your boy Noah Petrie. Of course, this will be dropping Tuesday at 7 a.m. every single week. I hope you guys enjoyed this and I hope you had a good Memorial Day. Bye.